0: WLCC, Brandon.
1: Faith Talk Tampa online at let or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey.
0: The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre-recorded.
1: Stop living for self-indulgent activities, the good times, the pleasure-seeking thrills that, that make you feel good. Why is he saying this? What's the context? Love love doesn't behave this way when we sin when sin dominates us we're living for self we don't care about anybody else we care about number one and he is saying that in light of christ's return you need to wake up and stop thinking about yourself and just this pleasure seeking thrill that you have you need to think about others and meeting their needs because that's the way love is He needs to think about their feelings, their needs, their desires. And Paul's point is that you can't love anyone when you live for yourself because love puts others first. And he said what should motivate you is to know that the day is almost here. The night is just about up. Verse 14, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. Remember to let Christ control you. He's speaking to believers now.
0: Activities. Hmm. Would you say you are involved in self indulgent activities? I know my first reaction to that question would be, no, of course not. However, as I think about it, I'd have to say I am rather self indulgent, selfish. I want to feel good. I don't do a very good job of thinking about others and seeking to meet their needs. Here's what I like about this verse by verse program Pastor Steve Kreloff, our teacher, brings us the Word of God, and he doesn't hold back. I appreciate that Pastor Steve stays very true to Scripture. So how does selfishness and self-indulgent living apply to the return of Jesus? I'm glad you asked that. Pastor Steve is going to connect all that up on today's Verse by Verse program. So let's get started.
1: The sun is about to shine. The, the day when Christ returns is near. So since his coming is so close, we need to wake up, get out of bed, lay aside our old deeds of darkness, and get dressed with the armor of light. Put on the armor of light. Get dressed properly. And how specifically are we to behave? Notice verse 13. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. In other words, what he's saying is this. Stop living for yourself. Stop living for self-indulgent activities, the good times, the pleasure-seeking thrills that, that make you feel good. Why is he saying this? What's the context? Love love doesn't behave this way when we sin when sin dominates us we're living for self we don't care about anybody else we care about number one and he is saying that in light of christ's return you need to wake up and stop thinking about yourself and just this pleasure seeking thrill that you have you need to think about others and meeting their needs because that's the way love is He needs to think about their feelings, their needs, their desires. And Paul's point is that you can't love anyone when you live for yourself because love puts others first. And he said what should motivate you is to know that the day is almost here. The night is just about up. Verse 14, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. Remember to let Christ control you. He's speaking to believers now. If it were unbelievers, he'd say, listen, you need to accept Christ. But to believers, he says, you need to remember to let Christ control you. And we're to do this by being aware that the time of his appearance is closer than ever. See, it makes a difference. It makes a difference. That's why, and I told you this a few weeks ago, uh, in Second Peter 3, which I read a few few minutes ago in the pastoral prayer, Peter says that in the last days, some will come, and they'll mock, and they'll say, Jesus is not coming back. And, and you Christians are, have just believed a fairy tale, a fairy tale lie. Peter said what, what, uh, when they do this, they do this because of their own lusts, because of their desires. You see, they have to justify their behavior that there is no God that they're answerable to. And if they can just dismiss the accountability to God, then they could eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And what difference does it make? But if there is a God, and if Jesus Christ is coming again to deal with this earth in judgment, then it does make a difference the way we live. For believers as well as non-believers, believers need to tr- uh, unbelievers need to trust Him. And believers need to live a godly life. You see, uh, according to Romans 13, Paul said time is running out. We all tend to think that we've got plenty of time to be godly, especially young people. And I said this the other week, but let me reiterate it. Young people especially feel that um, I've got my whole life in front of me. I don't have to be godly now. That's just, you know, my parents can do that. Sure, they're old. That's what old people do. They're kind of daddy. They they don't don't have fun. But listen, the Bible says that uh, time is running out. You cannot have that attitude, that mentality that says, uh, I have plenty of time left. For one thing, you don't know that you have plenty of time left. You could die today. Secondly, when you maintain an attitude like that, your heart only gets harder. It does not get softer. You don't wake up one day and you say, Uh-huh, I'm out of college. Time to, to get serious and now I'm going to accept Christ you, and, and live for him. You cannot go for 20, 21 years living as a pagan with a pagan mentality and one day be transformed saying, Now I'm going to accept him. It doesn't work that way. That's why the writer to the Hebrews says, If you hear his voice, if God is dealing with your heart, don't harden it. Today is the day of salvation. Don't harden your voice. Your heart, you may not hear his voice again. There's one more passage that I want us to see that addresses our our motivation for godliness. It's 2 Peter chapter 3. We read about that in the pastoral prayer just before it. But 2 Peter chapter 3. And let me just explain this. Verse 10 says... But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, once again there's that analogy with the thief, 2 Peter 3.10, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Uh, this will take place at the end of the kingdom, the end of the kingdom. After the thousand year reign of Christ on earth, God will, will change the heavens and the earth. It's... It's a truth that should affect us today, though, even though it's going to take place way in the future. Verse 11 says, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, not by a flood, by the way, because God promised Noah and his generation that he'd never destroy the earth by a flood. It'll be by heat. What sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? It's interesting, the expression, what sort, or the authorized version, King James says, what manner of people ought you to be that word was used in classical in the classical Greek language to refer to something that was foreign something that was foreign uh, in other words uh, since we as God's people know that the world is going to be burned up our conduct should be different it should be foreign we're like aliens in a foreign country we're like foreigners in a different land we, we live here but we're to behave as citizens of the kingdom as citizens of heaven Paul said that in Philippians 3.20. He said, our citizenship is where? In heaven. We live here, but we don't have to act like everybody here. Second Peter 3.14 says, Therefore, beloved, since you, know, uh, uh, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found in him in peace and spotless and blameless. We're not to become comfortable with the things of this world. We're not to be comfortable with them. Second Peter 3.13, look at verse 13. But according to his promise, we're looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We're to focus on new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. We're not to be stuck on the routines of life. In Matthew 24, remember the people in the days of Noah were eating and drinking and, and getting married and so forth. And I told you, he's not talking about wicked behavior. He's just talking about an indifference to eternity. It's like this life is all there is, so who cares about the future? We as believers need to be careful of that mentality. That our, when our activities like that become the heart of living, then you know what? Life is very shallow. When life consists of, of buying cars and homes and clothing and uh, eating and drinking, and when that's the heart of, of your living, then it's a pretty shallow existence. And the world can do that, but believers can't. It's a life that's oriented around today without any thought for eternity, and we're not to be like that. I want you to see something that's very, very interesting. You don't need to turn there, but Philippians chapter 4. I was just going over this uh, this week, and it it struck me. In Philippians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is talking about how to have peace and not worry and and so forth. And one of the things he says in verse 5, Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. There are some people who fight all the time. They fight about everything. They fight about parking spaces. They fight about who's first in line in, re- in the restaurants. You know, they fight about everything. And uh, there were some people in the church at Philippi who were fighting. Uh, two women, especially, who were fighting. And, they, and then there were probably a division of other people. And Paul said, let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The word forbear uh, could be translated gentleness. It, it, means, it means sort of giving up your rights. Stop fighting with everybody. You say, but but these things are important. Are they? Notice the end of verse 5. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. In other words, he's saying, in light of the Lord coming at any moment, who cares about the parking space? Who cares about being first in line? It's not that important. It's not worth having a fight over. And if you want peace in your life, then stop fighting everybody. And if you lost money to somebody, send you lost money to somebody. The Lord is near. He'll take care of it when he comes. And you can go on fighting and arguing with people and debating people, but that's not the way to have peace. So in light of the Lord's return, we are to be different. So the return of Christ motivates us to be godly. godly. But there is a second uh, motivation in light of Christ's return, and that is the return of Christ motivates us to serve, to serve him. If we believe that Jesus is coming soon and it's not just a theory to us. If we really believe that then we should be busy serving Him now. That, that's just common sense. We ought to be busy serving Him now. In fact we ought to be busy. Uh, the reason I want to emphasize this at the beginning of, of this point is that there are some people who are not busy. Uh, some people in fact who are kinda of lazy and they've excused their laziness by the return of Christ. Sometimes Christians who who have become preoccupied with the return of the Lord have And there are not always, but and this is certainly uh, an extremism, but they have quit their jobs, sold their things, and just waited for the Lord to return. They sort of quit serving and, you know, the kind of mentality that goes on a mountaintop and says, I'm waiting. The Thessalonians, some of them did something like that. In 1 Thessalonians Paul emphasizes what a second coming church they they were. They really were looking for the Lord and they were waiting for His appearance and they were excited about it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse, verse 9 it says for, uh, well let's look at verse 10, you were waiting for His Son from heaven whom He raised from the dead. They were they were waiting for Him. Chapter 4 he speaks about the rapture of the church to them because they were concerned, they didn't understand everything. Chapter 5 he says now is to the time and the epics, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know what, uh, know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. And, and, and they were really excited about the coming of Christ and the, and the, the combination of the coming and rapture of the, of the church. But some of them got carried away to an extreme fanaticism concerning the doctrine of the Lord's return. Notice, First Thessalonians 4:11. Paul says, I want you to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you. Now, why would he tell them this? Because apparently some had quit their jobs. They were restless. They were restless, waiting for Christ to return. And uh, they spent their time interfering with other people's lives. They were busybodies. They were nosy people. And they were idle people. And they didn't have work to do because they had quit their work. And their, their attitude was this. Why work when Christ is coming back? Why go to college and get a career learn a career, when he could come at any moment. And that was somewhat of their thinking. That's why, by the way, in 2 Thessalonians, chapter 6, Paul speaks about if they will not work, then they will not eat. That's the whole background of it. And it all apparently was related to the appearance of Christ. You can read it in 1 and 2 Thessalonians. In fact, by the way, he speaks of discipline. Discipline for those people who refuse to get a job. Not people who had struggles getting a job, people who refused to get a job because they were so busy waiting for the Lord, busy in other people's lives, not busy serving Christ. And we have a responsibility to work and to carry on the normal, as we carry on the normal functions of life. We're not to quit our jobs... We're not to stop being busy, but we are, as we, as we carry on our responsibilities uh, in the workplace, at home, as housewives, as, as people who just carry on their normal affairs, we are uh, to make sure that we serve the Lord in specifically two areas. Number one, as a witness to Him. And the book of Acts tells us, Acts chapter 1, verse 6, so when they had come together, they were asking him, Lord, is it at this time that you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? Jesus has died on the cross. He has risen from the cross. He has spent uh, 40 days speaking and teaching his disciples about the coming kingdom. And now he's about to leave them. And they say, is it now that you're going to bring the kingdom here? They still don't understand that he's going away. And so he said to them, verse 7. It's not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be My witnesses both in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. And after He had said these things, He was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received Him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while He was departing, Behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. And they also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into the sky? That's a reasonable question. Reasonable question. This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you've watched him go into heaven. Now let me paraphrase what, what is going on here? What's going on here is this. Stop worrying, the Lord said, about date setting. And, and the, the angels are saying that too. In essence, stop worrying about date setting. Stop looking and gazing into the sky. Just get busy telling people about Christ. Why are you standing here looking into the uh, Palestinian sky, the Israeli sky? Get busy. He told you what to do, so stop, stop stargazing. One of the dangers of studying prophecy and I recognize this, one of the dangers is that if you're not careful, it can lead to a do-nothing type of Christianity. We get very excited about prophecy, and it is thrilling, and we ought to study it, but we ought to make sure that we don't take this attitude of, oh, I'm thrilled to learn about all these things. It's so exciting. And while we let the world just go to hell, and we don't witness to anybody. We don't witness to anybody. It's interesting that... um, the apostle John in the book of Revelation said that his word was sweet and and, John, and Revelation's about prophecy, his word was sweet in my mouth, but when it reached my stomach it was bitter. It was bitter. You know why? Because it is exciting to study about prophecy. It's it's a thrilling thing to study about the rapture of the church and the return of Christ and understanding Israel's role and what's going to happen and seeing things come together and that's sweet and that's nice. But it also is bitter when you recognize that we're talking about real people dying and real judgments and real pestilence and, and real earthquakes and real famines and, and the reality of the Antichrist betraying Israel and, uh, and, and him persecuting believers and all of that. That's bitter. That's not sweet. That's, that's nasty stuff. That's stuff that ought to, ought to make us bitter. And so we need to be careful that we don't forget people as we study prophecy. And, and when I say that, I mean that we need to be witnessing. Are you witnessing? Are you sharing your faith? I'm not talking about being obnoxious. I'm not talking about knocking people over the head and grabbing them and saying, you're going to listen to me no matter what. I'm talking about a lifestyle of, of godliness and an attractiveness that, uh, that leads to opportunities to tell people about the Lord witnessing, telling people about Christ. We ought to be serving Him. We ought to be doing that because the coming of Christ is real. And there's a sweetness, there's a bitterness. Second area that we serve Him, and it's this, it's in this area, to strengthen fellow believers. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. I'm convinced that uh, Hebrews chapter 10, uh, the passage that we're going to look at, is, is sort of misunderstood by most people. They sort of are on the right track, but they, but they miss a, a real subtle part of, of Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 24 says this, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our, our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Apparently, some of the Hebrew believers were staying away from attending the church meetings. That's apparently what was happening. These were Jewish believers, and some perhaps not believers, but Jewish people, either believers or on the verge of being believers or, or oriented that way. And uh, what he's saying is this has affected your fellow Christians who are struggling in their spiritual walk. They're struggling. Some of them were attending the service and fellowship, and some were staying away. And to those who were staying away, he said, you ought to get back. You ought to be stimulating those who have stayed to love and good deeds. These poor believers were tempted to turn back to Judaism. They were persecuted for believing in Jesus. It was tough. They needed to be strengthened and encouraged to hang in there. And he said, Don't stay away. And maybe some of these people hadn't stayed away, but they were thinking about it. And Paul or, or the writer to the Hebrews says, You've got to be there. You've got to be a part of it. And, and what are you saying is this your church fellowship needs you. You are needed to stimulate others to love and good deeds. You are needed to strengthen wavering hearts. You are needed to encourage people who are weak in their faith. And so be faithful in the life of the church. Other believers need you. Now that's a new twist. That's a new twist. Uh, many times pastors will tell, um, will tell their congregation, you need to be in church. And I've heard pastors say that. And you know what my first thought, was, uh, thought is when I hear that? Why? Tell them why. Why? I mean, you certainly, if this isn't important, you have other things that you could do. Why do you need to be in church? Not just to hear the word of God, but your very presence is an encouragement to other believers. I've seen brand new believers people who have walked with the Lord who have brought them to faith in Christ they've brought them to the church and then something happens in the, in the mature Christian's life and they're no longer here or they're no longer in fellowship and that brand new believer is left on his own and you know what he's asking or she's asking where is so and so who left me? I don't understand. What, is it not real what they told me about Christ? You need to be here to encourage them by your very presence and, and your, your encouragement of words and your worshiping with them and your strengthening them. Uh, church is not something we just do. You need to be fed the word of God in church you need to worship the Lord with other believers but you also need to be involved not just in in a church meeting but in some type of fellowship where you can interact with one another and encourage them and strengthen them and the irony of it is is that as you do that you will be encouraged and strengthened too because it works both ways you need others to encourage and strengthen you and and you need to encourage and strengthen them you see the life of the church is not you, you don't ask this question I know most people do but you ought not to ask this question well what can this church do for me? Now, what do you have to offer me? Actually, the more biblical attitude should be, uh, what do I have to offer this church? What what can I what can I do in terms of service and, and ministry here? That's what the writer to the Hebrews is saying. Notice the last phrase of, of verse, uh, verse 25. He says And all the more as you see the day drawing near. That's why this comes under the appearance of Christ. The closer we get to Christ's return, the more we need to faithfully encourage our our brethren. Why? Because soon we will stand before him. We're going to stand before Jesus and we're going to give an account of our lives and how we used it. Selfishly or to his glory and service. And we all need to be encouraging one another. This is not the time to grow lax in our spiritual lives. This is the time to grow diligent. This isn't the time to get lethargic in our faith. Christ is coming soon, and this is the time to be closest to him. Are you involved in the life of this church? Are you? When you stay away from church and Christian fellowships, you you not only hurt yourself, because no one operates as a lone ranger. You cannot grow in the Lord and be just floating out there. But you also hurt others who need the strength of of your presence and encouragement. Church is not just something we do. It is not a, a Sunday kind of exercise what is, what is going on is vital to the growth of the body of Christ. Now, if you knew, I'll ask you this question again, phrasing it a little bit different. If you knew that Jesus was coming tomorrow, what would you do today? What would you do today? You know what your answer should be? It should be this. I wouldn't change a thing. I do exactly as I plan to do. That should be your answer. I, I shouldn't have to change anything. You see, you shouldn't have to change the plans you made for today because each day should be lived as if Christ were appearing at any moment. I, I like what, what one woman said. One woman said to this question, she said, Nothing. I'm ready now. I'm re-. That ought to be the answer. I shouldn't have to change anything. I'm ready Now, you and I should conduct our lives in such a godly manner and a a serving manner because Christ is coming back. There shouldn't be anything we should have to change. But realistically, some of us may need to change things, may need to adjust things in our lives. Godliness, at home, at school, at work, and a a serving attitude, especially the life of the church.
0: That last part really hit home. Now, okay, all of it did. I really appreciated the practical applications Pastor Steve made on today's verse-by-verse program. I mean, what would you do differently if you knew Jesus was coming to take his children home today? Tough question. In reality, if we are living with the thought of Christ's return for his church, we shouldn't have to change anything in the way we live our lives. Pastor Steve Kreloff, our teacher on verse-by-verse, has concluded our series of messages dealing with the birth pains of the kingdom and the time of Christ's return. I want to thank you for listening, and I invite you to join us next time for another great series of messages from God's Word right here on Verse by Verse.